Welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, a podcast where we speak with Merida College faculty members on important issues that impact our campus or impact our world. Today, we are pleased to welcome Dr. Mark Schaefer from Merida College's Political Science Department. Dr. Schaefer joined the college in 2005 and has taught a variety of courses in American foreign policy, Middle East politics, and is currently teaching a course in Russian foreign policy. Dr. Schaefer is joining us now to discuss Russia's attack on Ukraine. You know, we've had a lot going on in the world, mostly obviously with uh, Ukraine and what's going on there and, and uh, the uh, war started by Russia. I just want to, uh, you know, kind of just ask you, you know, um, you know, let's get it started. Why is Russia so concerned with what is going on in Ukraine? Well, Russia gives kind of their public line about Ukraine and then what they're really concerned about. So I'll kind of give you both. Their public line as to why they're so concerned about Ukraine is they see Ukraine as a potential NATO and EU member that really would threaten them militarily, that this could be a jumping off point for NATO and the West towards Russia in some future conflict. Um, That's not really based in reality. So NATO is a defensive alliance. Um, I'm sure that Russia would prefer not to have a defensive alliance anywhere in their neighborhood, and that's part of the reality. But what they really identify Ukraine to be it's why it's most threatening is because Ukraine has the possibility of becoming a truly vibrant democracy with a capitalist system with low corruption across the next 10 years if left unaltered. This policy and this invasion is an attempt to basically alter that trajectory to bring Ukraine back into the Russian fold and to make sure that there isn't, you know, a country of 44 million people with a fairly happy and thriving democracy right next door, which would be the biggest threat to Russia and the stability of their regime. So is there something that has changed or is different that pushed them to the point that invading now was the time to do it? This is kind of a, this is a war of opportunity and a war of choice for Russia. Um, They see it as something that they chose to do now because the opportunity presented itself. The West is, at least until this war, was seen by Russians to be fairly unorganized and not unified. You have new leadership in Germany. You have a struggling prime minister in Great Britain. You have a president in France who is up for re-election. You have the United States in a Biden administration that's dealing with a pandemic, that's dealing with inflation and things like that, but that is also dealing with a big pushback from conservatives and from people within the United States who feel that the election was not well sorted out. All of that instability in the West has basically made this opportunistic for Russia to become more and more assertive and aggressive. Compound that with the fact that the whole world is dealing with a pandemic, the whole world is dealing with basically inflation and increases in oil prices. That makes Russia feel that they can basically do this invasion, pay the penalties that they'll get for invading Ukraine, and those penalties will be sanctions and economic hurts. But they feel like because of increased oil prices and inflation, the West will back off faster. So they see this as basically an opportunity to, to take an action that they probably wouldn't be able to do in 10 years. In 10 years, Ukraine would probably be a democracy. Ukraine would probably be in NATO or within the European Union. And then this would all be off the table and they would have their worst possible outcome, which would be a democratic Ukraine right next door. So as you're monitoring this and, and paying attention to what all is going on, can you talk about how things are evolving on the ground uh, in this war? So I think 
many in the West were frankly surprised that the U.S. intelligence community was so accurate and point on about what Russia was planning and that Russia was actually going to fully invade and attack Ukraine. But this is something that the Biden administration and Western intelligence has been basically drumming and saying that this is going to happen and just trying to keep unity amongst the West for this. I think they, the West in Europe was largely surprised in all of this. Um, but Ukrainians were also kind of surprised. They, over the past month, have not really believed that this was going to happen, but they seem to have really risen to um, Reason, reason to meet the moment. Um, the Ukrainian political leadership, the Ukrainian citizens, um, they have created a massive halt to, to Russian troop movements, which considering the sheer number of Russian troops that are present now within the country, they have estimates about 180,000 troops within the country now, 10,000 more in reserve within Belarus and within uh, Western Russia. But to have the expectation that Ukraine is going to somehow be able to hold back the Russian military that is intent on basically conquering all of Ukraine, it, it, they're just in an untenable position. And particularly as Russia begins to amp up their pressures on civilian populations and their attacks on civilian populations, Ukraine is just in a bad position and asking for, you know, Western help, for EU help, for UN help, for help from basically anyone that can bring it. Um, so they're really facing quite a mess, but it's it's not going as Russia had advertised. You mentioned seeking that help. Um, what's the kind of help that they can realistically expect from allies? Right now, the help that they can expect from NATO, from European Union member states, and from countries like Japan is now lethal assistance. So basically bringing weapons to Ukraine. And um, we're seeing some dramatic changes in policy positions over the past week. Germany is now providing lethal assistance. In the past, Germany had a big history ever since World War II of not providing like anything that could kill anybody. So they'll give kel helmets and Kevlar, but they're not going to send, you know, anti-tank missiles. They're not going to send, you know, rifles. But now Germany has changed this position. We've seen changes in position in Finland, which is also another country that kind of fears Russia, Russian aggression. We've seen changes from Switzerland. So right now we can expect that the Ukrainians are going to get as much arms as basically other countries can bring to them while those countries are still fearful that they may eventually become targeted by the Russian military. If NATO member states are targeted by the Russian military, that opens up the door that there could be an escalation point at which, you know, NATO member states could basically be fighting against Russian soldiers, which is a big escalation point, but still a possibility in this conflict. The other avenues where this could escalate to involve NATO member states would be as the refugee crisis grows. Um, Right now, it's estimated there are about 1.2 million Ukrainians outside of their borders. And with the population continuing to move outward, that's going to cause economic pressures, uh, social pressures in European states. Populations' opinions about whether or not NATO should be involved in this conflict will change the worse this gets on the ground in Ukraine. Add to that the very, very alarming conflicts that are now happening around Ukrainian nuclear energy sites. That is going to open up all kinds of international pressures and European Union and NATO pressures for some type of 
assurances from Russia that they're not going to target these nuclear energy sites because Ukraine kind of, if you paid attention to like, you know, HBO during, um, during the pandemic, obviously the Chernobyl miniseries did really well. Well, Chernobyl was a Ukrainian, you know, nuclear energy facility and they have what, 15, 16 more. So this is problematic for everybody. Not trying to ask you to predict the future by any means, but as you know, you're paying attention to this, you see what's going on. How do you see this reaching some sort of resolution? What do you see moving forward over the whatever length of time this takes? Um, there are basically, I guess, a couple of ways that this could come out. One would be that there is some type of exit that is provided for the Putin government that allows them to claim some bit of victory in Ukraine while Ukraine still remains nominally uh, a sovereign state, uh, maybe losing portions of their, their eastern territory. That seems unlikely today because it doesn't seem like Russia is really looking to bargain. It looks like Russia is really now looking to amp up all pressure and have complete control over Ukraine. If that's the case, it's more than likely that Russia will eventually topple the Zelensky government in Kyiv and that a new kind of puppet government will be created in Ukraine. That government will face constant attacks from Ukrainian citizens and militia groups. And this has, it has the, the real possibility of becoming a prolonged civil war, civil conflict in Europe for, de for a decade, as basically Russia tries to get this new Ukrainian government to stabilize their population. And as the West continues to aid and assist these Ukrainian freedom fighters, to try to push back against this puppet regime, that would be terribly problematic because that means that Russia is going to come into conflict with NATO member states as they seek to bring in weapons, as they seek to bring in support. This would expand into all kinds of other potential conflicts between Russia and NATO member states. There really isn't a happy ending. There, there, there really isn't one. I wish I could give you one, but there really isn't one. So, I mean, that does uh, take it to the, the bigger picture. I mean, there is the realistic possibility, if I'm hearing you correctly, that this is going to involve other countries being at war with Russia, or at least engaged in uh, military actions of some sort. We, you know, sitting in the U.S. and thinking about U.S. foreign policy and NATO foreign policy, it's always been considered that, you know, because the U.S. is a nuclear state, Russia is a nuclear state, they're the two biggest nuclear states, that they obviously can never come to blows with each other. That's really not based in reality. That's, this is a pathway towards conventional warfare at some level between Russia, the United States, or the U.S.'s allies, mm -hmm. which is terrible. Um, but it's something that U.S. and Western planners have envisioned for decades. I mean, that's the, that's the reason why the U.S. has built nuclear weapons and Russia has built nuclear weapons, but the U.S. has built aircraft carriers and submarines and we still have an army. If we thought that nuclear weapons were this real big deterrent, we wouldn't have had these other things. But we have these other things because we've envisioned a world and wars in which we would basically use these conventional weapons. So, it's definitely possible that this could be a pathway towards conflict with Russia. 
Is it likely right now? No, it's not likely, but but people shouldn't think of this as, you know, there's a 0% chance that this would happen because that's not accurate. So my last question for you is, I mean, as a professor here on campus, how engaged are the students in your class? Is this a, is this a hot topic that you guys are going over? It is a hot topic. So um, one of the classes I'm teaching this semester is Russia and Eastern Europe. So you can imagine that, you know, my syllabus from the kind of beginning of the semester, well, I knew that this conflict was always a possibility. You know, I was held it out as like, we're probably talking a 50-50 coin flip. Well, my syllabus for that class has basically changed dramatically uh, to deal with this. I'm also teaching uh, presidential politics. And so, you know, dealing with the Biden administration's response. And then across the rest of the political science department, uh, Dr. Tager, Dr. Morgan, it's basically infiltrated all of our classes because not only is it such a big story, but its impacts and potential impacts are so large that you really just can't ignore it. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Faculty Chronicles. If you would like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.